why we need more women journalists in the developing world. According to the Global Media Monitoring Project, for every woman who appears in the news, there are five men. The voices of women, especially in the developing world, have long been underrepresented. But now, the issue seems even more urgent, as major media organizations have scaled back on all international coverage, closing bureaus, and cutting costs. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today we'll meet leaders of two nonprofit news agencies dedicated to training women journalists in the developing world. Their stories have already affected change. What kind of difference does it make when women cover the news? And how does it alter the communities where they live? With me in the studio, Jeannie Borgo, President and CEO of Internews. Joining us from Boston, Christy Hegrenis, founder of Global Press Institute, and Sybil Masquillier, who is a board member at Global Press Institute. And as always, we want to hear from you. Email talk at mpbn.net, tweet at Maine Calling, post a message to our Facebook page, or give us a call. 1-800-399-3566. That's 1-800-399-3566. Training the next generation of female journalists. This is Maine Calling. Broadcast of Maine Calling is made possible by MPBN radio listener contributions and by Sweetser, serving mental and behavioral health needs of children, adults, and families in Maine since 1828, Sweetser.org, and by the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to strengthen Maine's economy and communities on the web at mainecf.org. And thank you all for joining us here. It's so interesting to me that both you, Jeannie Borgo, and Sybil Masquillier have um, connections here in Maine. You both live here in Maine and um, that you are involved in this this international issue of getting more female reporters covering the news in, develop, in the developing world. Christy Hegrenis, I understand you'll be in Maine tomorrow to talk about the work that Global Press Institute does Why don't you tell me about it? You founded Global Press Institute in 2006. What spurred you to do so? Hi, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, I was a 25-year-old stringer, uh, foreign correspondent, covering the Civil War in Nepal. And uh, that was my dream job. It was everything that I had always wanted to do, travel the world, telling stories. But it didn't take long after I was in country trying to do my job that I realized that there are so many obstacles that um, make foreign correspondence uh, a challenging profession, but also uh, not necessarily the best way to disseminate news. I was working through uh, government translators. I didn't have access to real people. And in the end, I realized that, you know, my coverage was just barely scratching the surface. I was really fortunate to have had um, what turned out to be a life-changing meeting with a woman named Pratima in a remote village in Nepal. And I had initially set out to write her story. I was going to do a profile piece of her, what it was to be the matriarch of a village uh, in the midst of civil war. But in the course of the interview, you know, I spoke bad Nepali, she spoke bad English, and um, ended up actually handing her my notebook and a pen and just saying, you know, here, you write it. You tell me what it is to be at this place in this time. And what was so extraordinary was uh, what she returned to me a few days later was absolutely a piece of journalism. She wrote about 
the, the health considerations she wrote about, what it was to have all the young men in her community uh, recruited by um, the rebel army or leaving the community to find work in India or the Middle East. And they were the real human stories that uh, that I had wanted but as a foreigner was really unable to access. And so that was the moment where I realized that despite, you know, my fancy master's degree in journalism and all of my training and experience, um, you know, I had just two things that Pratima and women around the world like Pratima would really need to become exceptional journalists. And that was professional journalism training and a credible global platform on which to publish their work. And so I remember... And going back to Kathmandu and sitting down with a photographer who I had traveled with a bit and saying, you know, God, somebody really needs to somebody really needs to figure this out. Somebody really needs to create this training program and this credible global uh, platform that so women in the world like Pratima can can share their stories. And uh, it turns out that uh, that that person was me. <laughs> so who are you training? What kind of reporters? Where Where do they come from and how do you train them? So the Global Press Institute model is a training to employment model. So when we go into a community, we are looking from, for women who come from all walks of life. Uh, GPI reporters range in age from 15 to 65. Uh, they are members of all different religions, castes, um, life circumstance, socioeconomic status. And so we pull a very diverse group of women together in these communities, and they go through a six-month training program that we call the Principles and the Practice. And once they complete that training program, we actually offer them long-term employment. So um, there are many really exceptional journalism training programs out there in the world, but what makes the GPI model different is that when someone completes our training program, they go on to become employees of GPI in that community. And we operate news desks, really traditional news desks that have editors and translators and fact checkers who can really ensure that the quality coverage that our reporters are are putting out, both in local language and their local communities and then in English on our global newswire, is some of the just the most exceptional, ethical, authentic investigative journalism around. And so you have a newswire and your articles can be picked up by newspapers throughout the world. That's right. Yes, we have a uh, a newswire that's available to read for individuals anywhere in the world. And we also have a new syndication platform that allows uh, media partners, educational institutions, even corporations and governments in some instances are becoming syndication partners. Because of the way our model operates, it's an extremely low-cost way to produce news. So by operating the syndication platform, we are accepting essentially working to make our competitors' news offerings stronger and just really living our mission of increasing access to information about the developing world for everyone. Jeannie Borgo, I know that Internews has a, a bigger mission than only, um, not only, but, but training female journalists is part of the mission, but not the entire mission. Tell me about Internews and um, what your model is. Um, sure. We are uh, very complimentary what Christy is describing. Our organization is founded on the belief that when people have access to local, locally relevant, locally produced news and information, they're able to make better decisions for themselves, for their families, and for their communities. So we're all about that local capacity and making sure that within a local community, people have access to the news and information they need both, again, to make decisions, but also to hold their governments accountable. 
In our 30-year history, we've worked in over 90 countries around the world, and we're currently working in 39 countries with offices in, in 24. So the difference between we, we totally uh, endorse what Christy's doing on the training side, and we, we also have a, a very robust training program around the world. It's a, a key element of the work that we do. But the difference in our focus is just that we're looking at locally owned, locally managed editorial control within local communities to make sure that that local media and information ecosystem is robust and we're not bringing it back. And I, again, I love what Christie's doing in a, in a really focused model. I think our work is, is very complementary at making sure that what's happening on the ground in all the different communities we're working with is, is meeting the needs of that specific community. And our, our approach is, is multi-tiered from, from training. We, we look at all of the different things that can impede the free flow of quality information. And sometimes it's professional skills. Sometimes it's legal and regulatory issues. Sometimes it's financial issues. That There just isn't a financial base to maintain that free flow of information. So depending on the situation, we'll address any or all of those issues. And what is your method for ensuring that there are as many female journalists as there need to be in these communities? Yeah, you, you quoted the, the, the very, very important report on the Global Media Monitoring Project, which looks at the role of women around the world. And the, another statistic is that only 37 percent of all journalists globally are women. And that, of course, doesn't work. And even in our work, we're not doing enough. We have a really targeted approach to making sure that women are engaged in the media sector because we know quality information depends on representing all the voices in a community and 37% isn't enough when it comes to women. So, But we're not doing enough. Last year, we trained over 10,000 journalists and media professionals around the world. Only a third of those, uh, just over 3,000 of those were women. And so you, despite our target to really represent the full diversity of a community, we're not doing enough. Why is that? Is that because of cultural limitations in the communities where you were working? It, it, it's a lot of different issues. But yes, that's a, a really big, um, important piece. We're working in a lot of very conservative countries where it's, sometimes it's difficult for women to work in media there's certain media that are easier for women to work in, such as radio, such as online. Uh, television tends to be more difficult because in a lot of cultures, have a woman being on screen is just not acceptable. Places like Afghanistan and Pakistan, they're very, very sensitive places for women to practice journalism. But they're also critically, amazingly important for women to practice journalism there as well because those voices and stories must be heard within those communities. Christy, I want to ask you, what might be an example of a story a female reporter might cover differently than a male reporter? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think um, for us, it really comes down to source access. And, you know, there are, of course, inherent differences in context, the way that men and women would cover a story. But, you know, at GPI, what one of the really interesting things that we do in our work is we don't just teach women how to cover women's issues. We teach women how to become players in pieces or aspects of journalism where they are um, notoriously neglected. So we have specialty reporting seminars teaching women how to cover business and enterprise, how to cover climate change, how to understand the science behind cl covering uh, climate change. But the difference really comes down to source access. When you are reporting investigative feature stories, you need people, you need sources to share themselves with you, which is a big trust component. So, you know, certainly the difference between having a local versus a foreign correspondent, you have the language barrier, you have just an innate trust factor. 
and then on the gender side, you know, I think we have some really exceptional stories that share um, really human personal narratives that women are willing to share with other women or people in the community are willing to share with women just because there's that trust. But in the end, I think the main reason that GPI content is um, more and more being recognized as um, truly exceptional and really the world standard when it comes to international feature coverage is because our reporters come to every topic they cover with this really deep, rich context, social, historical, cultural, political context. That means that they deeply understand the issues that they're covering and they're passionate about making others understand it. And definitely, as Jeannie said, we do believe that, you know, when you increase access to information, you are giving people the tools they need to better understand the world, their place in it, and truly creates opportunities for freedom. Sybil Masquillier, I want to join, bring you into the conversation. Um, how did you get involved in Global Press Institute? Hi, Jen. Uh, I have, uh, I came to it by my work, uh, I'm retired now, but uh, I had been a department head at the Miami Herald, and then for the last 37 years was an executive recruiter in the media industry. During one of my uh, conventions that I went to, I heard Christie speak, and I was sitting next to a friend who's with the McCormick Foundation, and I remember looking over at him and saying, she gets it. This is the way that our industry is changing, and she gets it. She's young, but she gets it. So that evening, uh, Clark and I went out to dinner with her, and uh, I said, I'm going to be a donor, and I'm going to work with you, and I'll raise funds for you. And Clark said, uh, McCormick Foundation will help. So <laughs> that was how I got to this. Um, you bring up funding. How is GPI funded, and how sustainable is the model? Uh, that's uh, my my favorite question to answer these days because I finally have a I finally have a good answer uh, after seven years. Uh, so we are still primarily funded um, by individuals and foundations. Uh, in general, GPI does not take um, corporate dollars or government dollars. Um, but with this new syndication platform that we've built, we actually are creating a strong revenue stream for ourselves for the first time. So in the next three years, we aim to be 50% sustainable based solely on the sale of our content. And that's been one of the most rewarding things of the last seven years is, you know, the women of GPI work extraordinarily hard to uh, combat many obstacles in their work, and they are these brave, bold, exceptional women. And as time has passed, the world has really come to begin to recognize them as world-class journalists, and there is a major appetite in the global media market for the work that they're producing. So it's really, it's it's been an incredible time, and building this syndication platform has been really exciting because it's not only a way that we can uh, share our quality work with more people around the world, but it's also the key to sustainability for the future of the organization. And Jeannie Burgo, how is uh, Internews funded? Uh, we're grant funded as well from individuals, and, and, and we do accept government funding from European funders, U.S. funders, and multilaterals, uh, but it's all a grant-funded model. The sustainability, sustainability key for us is with our local partners, and so when we're working with local media outlets, what we want to be sure is that when we leave our sort of infusion of talent and skill, that we leave behind sustainable media outlets uh, capable of maintaining that stream of quality information. And so that's where we're measuring our, our sustainability over time and have a, have a very good track record we're very, very proud of. So you mentioned that over the years you've been involved in 90 countries, currently 39. So some of those other 
um, 51 countries continue to have news organizations that you started but no longer are Correct. have to be involved in because they're self-sustaining. Correct. That's Correct. great. Well, we're going to take a break. Before we go, I want to give the phone number so you can join the conversation. 1-800-399-3566. 1-800-399-3566. Or you can tweet us at Maine Calling, email talk at net or post to our Facebook page. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, your comments and questions. This is Maine Calling. I'm Tom Ashbrook. Coming up on the next On Point, the high-tech end of immigration reform. Silicon Valley is buying a lot of access on Capitol Hill. They want to welcome more foreign engineers. We'll look at why. That's coming up on the next On Point from NPR. Join us for On Point this evening at 11 p.m. MPBN's main Capital Connection television channel offers daily coverage of the legislature in Augusta. Our coverage starts at 10 each weekday morning and includes coverage of House and Senate sessions, select committee hearings, and occasional interviews and press conferences. We also provide a rebroadcast of the day's coverage in the evening, usually at 7 o'clock. The Maine Capital Connection channel is available over the air and on most cable companies' digital tier. For more information, visit mpbn.net or call Audience Services at 800-884-1717. That number, 800-884-1717. On the tentative schedule for today at around 1230 right now, an Appropriations Committee update on Internet taxes. Then at 1 o'clock, Judiciary Committee public hearings on several bills ranging from regulatory fairness to concurrent jurisdiction of state and tribal courts. Broadcast of Maine Calling is made possible by MPBN radio listener contributions and by Gnome Landscapes, dedicated to enhancing outdoor living in Maine with installation, design, masonry, and maintenance, gnomelandscapes.com. And by the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to strengthen Maine's economy and communities on the web at mainecf. And welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on the program, helping women journalists the world over. With me in the studio, Jeannie Borgo, who is president and CEO of Internews. On the line with us from a studio in Boston, Christy Hegrenis, founder and executive director of Global Press Institute, and Sybil Mascalier, Global Press Institute board member. Thank you all for being here. We would like to jo- you, we would like you to join our conversation. Please give us a call. 1-800-399-3566. That is 1-800-399-3566. Email talk at mpbn.net. Tweet at maincalling or post to our Facebook page. If you have a story about women in developing countries and the amount of access they may have to information as opposed to the amount of information, access to information we have here in the United States, uh, if you have lived abroad and have stories about journalism and, and how issues are covered there, feel free to take part in the conversation. Again, one 800 I want to ask both of you, Christy, and Jeannie, about the issue of danger in the um, developing world. You know, there have been headlines only very recently about um, things happening to women who speak out, whether or not they're journalists, about issues. 
in Internews's 30-year history, have there been cases where women journalists have been targeted because of the stories they've been reporting? Um, absolutely. As, as you know, journalism is one of the most dangerous professions in the world. And uh, just last week, celebrating World Press Freedom Day on May 3rd, uh, the, the, all, all the reports come out from the community to protect journalists and, and other organizations, Freedom House, that are tracking this violence against journalists. And it's been getting worse and worse every year, particularly with Syria and Somalia. Uh, this past year has been uh, one of the worst in our history. Women have a unique uh, unique vulnerability as well. When, and when, when you look at women, the role of women and women journalists, there's been a lot of high profile cases about international journalists and, and particularly in places like Egypt, but also around the world when it comes to just basically pa- practicing their profession. Uh, I read a statistic somewhere and I don't have, I don't have the source right here that there's been a 33% increase in violence against women journalists since 2011. And so this, this dangerous profession is all the more dangerous for them one of the things that we've sort of seen as a, a power is that the you know the rise of digital media, online and mobile media, gives women a platform that that feels safe. But there's also increasing trends where violence against women on those online platforms is increasing. Well, where sort of harassment and, and the types of things that that happen offline are starting to happen online to journalists. So it's it's a trend that we're watching and that we that is is very concerning for us. Christy, when you train your female journalists, what kind of guidance do you give them about keeping themselves safe, protecting themselves, having the courage to get the story, yet protecting themselves? Yeah, it's it's the it's really the biggest issue. Um, before we decide to go into a community, the safety security analysis and the risk management plan are absolutely the first things that we do. People ask all the time, you know, why there isn't a GPI Pakistan or a GPI Iran. And, you know, the truth is because it's just too dangerous. Um, in addition to, you know, our mission to increase access to really high quality information from the developing world, there is absolutely an empowerment component to Global Press Institute that aims to, uh, you know, really empower these women who are joining our program. So putting them in imminent danger is not um, the best way to do that. That being said, we do operate in communities like Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, that have extremely challenging media environments. And it's a huge piece of the training. One of the first things we do is educate the women who join our program about what their local laws are, uh, which is, you know, a huge, huge avenue for women to just be able to keep themselves safe. They go through self-defense classes and they have all kinds of different um, trainings, uh, legal representation and then international relationships that um, that help in, in times of crisis. In our seven-year history, we have never had a journalist uh, harmed in the course of her work. We have had several instances where our reporters have been uh, detained for coverage that they've done or have, uh, you know, faced um, unpopular uh, critics in their community, we'll call them. Um, Christy, what, tell me about some of the stories in the communities um, that you serve. Tell me some of the stories that have affected change, that something has happened because of the story. Yeah, you know, I've long believed that when people around the world have access to ethical, authentic journalism, uh, change is uh, the necessary result. And when you have access to that kind of information, it just spurs people to action. And so it's been extremely rewarding to see that happen. You know, we we get stories from uh, from the field about individuals. Like we just found out that um, some fistula coverage that we did in, in Zimbabwe in January 
um, uh, an American family contacted one of the sources in the story and um, paid for her to go to South Africa and have the corrective surgery where she's now being reintegrated into her community. Can you explain that further? Yeah, so um, fistula is uh, a disease that affects women, particularly young women who have children at a very young age, and it's um, generally a tear in the system that causes them to leak stool and urine, and which means that women are these women get excluded from their communities. They uh, generally become outcasts. Um, homelessness is a, a huge consequence. So we did um, some series coverage about fistula in Zimbabwe and how there was no real treatment available for rural women. And a family in America uh, read the story and uh, reached out to uh, an organization that uh, was quoted in the story, and they helped them find this woman. And she's now um, in recovery after having this corrective surgery. So, you know, that's an example of, um, you know, humans taking action to help other humans based on high-quality journalism. Um, Over the last seven years, we also have two law changes to our credit, one in Nepal, where the former prime minister, you know, went on television and credited GPI and our uh, senior reporter, now country editor, Tara Bhattarai, for for forcing an important conversation about intercaste discrimination into the national conversation to the point where a new law was written. And just last year in Rwanda... One of our young reporters, who's just 19 years old, wrote a piece about uh, sex corruption and the number of women in Rwanda who were being forced to have um, sexual relations with bosses in order to either get or keep employment. And the really strong block of women in parliament in Rwanda called our desk and invited Rita in to address parliament about the issue. And they're now writing a law. Um, to actually criminalize this kind of sex corruption. So, um, you know, the the impact stories go on and on. And then, you know, there's also just not always good impact. But, for example, last year we covered a really powerful story in Kashmir about a rise in infant deaths because of corruption in the hospital and some other things. And because our reporter is on the ground, she's not a foreign correspondent who leaves after a certain amount of time, she is able to follow up the story year after year, month after month, and really continue to hold leaders in this community accountable for this really insane number of infant deaths that continues to go on. And so her investigative coverage has actually spurred national and international action uh, in and around this hospital situation in Kashmir. So again, you know, we truly believe and are now able to demonstrate that when people get access to this kind of really rich investigative news coverage, change is absolutely the end result. And Jeannie, I want to give you a chance to tell some of the stories that Internet has shared that have changed things in the countries where where your reporters are reporting. Um, I'll give two examples, uh, one from Kenya, one from Chad. In Kenya, a young woman journalist who we've worked with for a long time to improve her investigative skills uh, was investigating a story about uh, the high dropout rate of young women from the school system in her community. And she was looking into sort of she was using data journalism. Actually, there's all these new data tools that can can aid investigative journalism. And she had these high dropout rates, but she started looking at other data sets that she could sort of look and, and review to sort of see if there was a, a correlation somewhere. And she discovered that the schools with the highest dropout rates were also the schools that had the lowest per capita latrine numbers. And so she she interviewed education officials and they said, oh, it's, you know, they it, it's cholera, it's different disease, you know, different health issues. And she said that doesn't ring true because the young men 
you know, the caller doesn't discriminate between men and women. So she went and investigated deep, more deeply to the schools and talked to the students and talked to the, the school officials. And it was because when the women reached menstruation age, they were embarrassed to be going to school. And so they would drop out for that week or then drop out completely. So she took her investigation and showed the direct correlation between these two data sets interviewed the education <laughs> officials and got them to commit to investing in more latrines to the to the worst performing schools. And the great news, and just as Christy said, is that she's a journalist who lives there in that community, and she's going to be following up and making sure that those latrines get delivered and, and end up getting to those schools so the young women can stay in school um, at long, much longer periods and finish up school. Great. We have time. I have a second one from Chad. Yep. And in, in, uh, we've been working with the community of refugees from Darfur in the Chad, um, in the uh, border regions with Chad and help set up a, a series of community owned, community run radio stations that service both the local communities as well as the refugee communities. And one of the biggest dangers uh, that uh, a group of young women reporters created a program called She Speaks, She Listens. And one of the biggest dangers they found facing their uh, their uh, mothers and sisters was the danger of collecting firewood because they're the the this is a really remote area that is very very difficult very few supplies of any sort so women were going further and further away to find firewood and they were getting attacked it was becoming incredibly unsafe and so they broadcast that story and they set up basically brigades of women to go collect firewood together they set up they 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 changed the hours and made sure that it was during daylight that people were out collecting firewood and set up safety brigades of men and women to make sure that they could collect the much-needed firewood safely, and so that sort of changed the dynamics of what was happening in the camp because of, of the stories these women were producing. That's great. Well, Jeannie Borgo, Christy Hagerties, if you have a question for either one of these women or want to share your stories of um, uh, time spent in a foreign country where uh, journalism may or may not have affected your life, please give us a call, 1-800-399-3566, one 399 Three five six six. Jeannie, I want to return to you. In the thirty years that Internews has existed and worked with female journalists, how has the world changed for them? Is it you, you mentioned some really scary statistics just in the last couple years, but over those last thirty years, has there been progress for female journalism? I, I would say yes. There absolutely has been progress, just because there's been so much progress in the field of journalism. Thirty years ago, there were so many more countries where there just wasn't an independent press, there wasn't freedom of expression, and so there's been a blossoming. There, there's definitely sort of a closing down happening over the last couple of years, where there's been more challenges. But if you look at the collapse of the Soviet Union and the opening up of Eastern Europe, and even you know the Arab Spring, there's certainly been a, a, a an ex, ex, you know incredible and very exciting expansion of freedom of expression which means it's affected both men and women around the world. And so the positive trend line over 30 years is very, very good. The negatives of the last couple of years are really difficult. All right. Well, we're going to take another short break. When we return, hopefully some of your comments and questions. Please stay tuned. God on whose side? The interesting story to me was how these four people who all kind of did what they believe is the right thing to do are part of an inherently flawed system. An 80-year-old nun and three other protesters penetrate a secret nuclear installation. Washington Post reporter on a story that may match the Watergate break-in for unforeseen consequences. Next time on The Takeaway from PRI Public Radio International. Join us for The Takeaway this evening at midnight. 
Hey, it's us, Click and Clack. Is your car spring cleaning looking too daunting this year? Not if you lend me your flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's time for new wheels, consider donating your old car to this station through the Car Talk Vehicle Donation Program. For details, call 866-789-TMCP. TMCP? Yeah, take my car, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's 866-789-8627. For more information, visit mpbn.net and click on the Car Talk Vehicle Donation Program button in the top right corner. Join us at 1 o'clock this afternoon, immediately following Maine, calling for Speaking in Maine. We'll head to the Muskie School of Public Service at the University of Southern Maine for a forum discussion entitled Examining Maine's Options Under the Affordable Care Act. That's Speaking in Maine, coming up after Maine Calling, here on MPBN Radio. And welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and you're listening to Maine Calling. Today on the program, the leaders of two organizations that help promote journalism in the developing world and female reporters covering that journalism. With me in the studio, Jeannie Borgo, who is president and CEO of Internews, and on the line with us from a studio in Boston, Christy Hegrenis, who is founder and executive director of Global Press Institute, and Sybil Masquillier who is a Global Press Institute board member. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-399-3566. That is 1-800-399-3566. Email talk at mpbn.net. Post to our Facebook page or tweet at Maine Calling. Christy Hagrenis, I remember when I was in journalism school quite a while ago, we had international students, and, and our dean would worry about teaching our American values of freedom of the press to people who come from a different culture and in a world where the government will have different rules and different views of the um, of of what freedom of the press means if it's even important. What do you teach your reporters about American journalism values versus the journalism values in their own country? Certainly, um, you know. An understanding of local local journalism or local media laws is very important. Uh, I think one of my favorite things, though, that comes through in every single place where we do a training, GPI now operates news desks in 26 countries. Um, you know, there's really a human value of journalism that, that comes through. In the recruitment and interview process, one of the questions that we ask people is, how would your community be different if people were telling stories, you know, the kind of stories that you think are important? And regardless of how, um, you know, restrictive the media environment is or how little exposure someone may have had to, um, you know, sort of a utopian ideal of, of journalism, the understanding that the art of sharing human story and the science of knowing how to report and collect information in an ethical, authentic way is a human value that transcends every border. And so we really focus on that, um, that really human shared value of journalism. And beyond that, you know, we really focus on just the basics of journalism, things that, you know, more and more even in America, we see going by the wayside. You know, we are teaching uh, strong, strong ethics around objectivity and knowing how to eliminate bias from coverage. And it's funny because, you know, seven years ago, a lot of the examples that we used for, um, you know, bad examples of biased uh, journalism would come from restrictive media environments around the world. And more and more, the examples that we're using actually come from the American press. So, uh, you know, but there is a real understanding of why 
things like fact-checking so important. A lot of times when we work with women who have worked in other media organizations in their community, they're like, why do we have to go through this five-tiered fact-checking process? This is such a pain. But over time, they realize that um, it's about trust and it's about credibility. And we spell every name correctly and we get every fact right. We get the little stuff right so that when we're talking about it, big issues, people around the world um, know that they can trust us and believe us. So it's really inspiring to watch those human values of journalism uh, come to the fore regardless of the media environment that we're operating in. Sybil, I have a question that I know you're going to like. Someone has emailed us in asking how to best help these organizations. Ah, yes. Well, I would love to extend an invitation to anyone who would like to know more about the Global Press Institute to come to the University of New England Art Gallery tomorrow night, Wednesday, the 8th of May, at 5 to 7 p.m. Christy's going to be there, and we're going to have a lot of discussion about just this type of thing. Uh, People can help us by you know, of course, funding us. We we certainly appreciate that. But we also need people who are reading our stories and talking about our stories. I try every day to go on my Facebook page and uh, put up a story and, and remark on it. And it's just amazing how these things catch on. It It's that word of mouth thing that just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. So the involvement is, is uh, there's, there's, a number of ways that you can do that, but those are the two that I most practice myself. And of course, we will post um, links to both Global Press Institute and Inner News on the Facebook page for Maine Calling. Jeannie, what would you like to add to that? How can somebody listening right now help Internews? Well, I do think, uh, aside from, of course, you know, monetary contributions, which all of us would welcome, but the, the more important is really that engagement on these issues. Sometimes it is a stretch to think about, you know, why imp- why journalism and media is important in the developing world. You think about here we are inundated and we have so much media that sometimes it's almost it's hard to understand that many parts of the world don't have anything near what we have when it comes to media. And so it's a stretch of the imagination to understand why this is such a critical support and such a critical tool to advance human progress. And so paying attention, coming uh, coming to to, uh, different events that we have posted on our website to learn more about this and talking about the importance of this issue around the world is a huge benefit. You say that in some of the places you work, they're, they're not inundated by media. If, for example, um, an internews agency has a radio station, is it likely to be the only radio station in that community, or is there possibly also a state-run radio station? Could you characterize what what, we're de- what you're dealing with? I think the most extreme example of looking at this is in Afghanistan, where when we started working there in 2001, there was only one single state-controlled media uh, based in Kabul. Now we're working with a network of 52 independently, community-owned, community-run, community radio stations that exist in communities where they never had any local media in their own language, radio that is produced and and presented by people from their community, people they know, people they trust. And these radio stations are sustainable. They'll be there long after we're there serving the information needs of their communities. So yes, in many of the places that we're working with, there there is almost always a state-run media outlet organ of some sort, but it doesn't ever get to the community needs and that, that, that independent voice of the communities. And that's where we really focus our efforts and work. Okay, terrific. We're going to go to a call now. This is Colleen from Prospect Harbor. Colleen, go ahead. You're on Main Calling. 
Colleen, go ahead. You're on main calling. I, I had a question for everyone. I happen to know Sybil from 25 years ago when she recruited me into a position that was then new with PCs down in Philadelphia. But um, the recruitment aspect seems of interest to me. Is it hard to get women because of the cultural problems or just the political problems within their countries to come forward to be trained? Christy, would you like to answer that? That's a that's a great question. Um, we actually have the opposite problem. I was uh, in Cameroon last week, and we were uh, we have four spaces for journalists in uh, the city of Bamenda, and received nearly a thousand applications. Uh, in Sri Lanka, where we're expanding our desk, we have room for uh, adding two women to uh, to the desk there, and we had three hundred and five applications come in. It's actually one of the most um, powerful. Uh, pieces of the GPI experience is when we put out this call for recruitment in various ways throughout the community. Uh, the women who come forward are, are truly exceptional, and they, they often realize, you know, the challenges that the profession brings, but they are so passionate about wanting to do it. Uh, when I was in Ethiopia last summer, we recruited for the first time a, uh, a homeless woman who um, said, you know, I have I've so many stories to tell and I think I have so many skills, but no one has ever thought of me as someone who's capable of being a journalist. And I think that's really the beauty of the GPI model is that through our really intensive training program and then long-term employment, we are able to work with women who have, um, you know, minimal formal education skills, but um, do deeply understand the need for story to create change. And Jeannie Borgo, you are nodding your head. You also have more people applying than in... Well, I would say yes and no. I mean, there are certainly places where it's... Uh, most of the places we work in the world, you have an enthusiastic response to the opportunities. But there are places that we're working, such as Afghanistan and Pakistan, where there are women journalists, certainly in those countries, but there are more cultural and, and even sort of security barriers to their work and, and to their participation. So we have to be very, very careful with them, often it is easier if you come together as a group of women. In, in, in these countries, again, we can't bring women together with men in a training forum. So creating opportunities for women to work together with women helps address that issue. And I, I want to stress, as, as Christy talked about earlier, that security and safety of our partners is of primary importance to us. And so the teaching of physical security as well as digital security and, and online, there's all sorts of new threats to journalists that we take extra precautions with, um, with, with all of the journalists, but including the women that, we, that we, we work with. There is still a gap. There really is when it comes to uh, media around the world. As I said, 37% of journalists globally are women. We're not, we haven't yet been able to fill that gap to get that up to, to, the, to the necessary 50%, but we're working very hard, and there's a lot of very, very passionate, uh, really amazing people out there that are helping fill that gap. And Christy, I'm going to let you have the last word quickly. Um, I want to touch on this is not just about getting the news out to the people in the communities and in the world about what's going on in these communities, but also changing the lives of the women who become involved. Absolutely. That uh, for me, you know, when I founded GPI, I did it out of a love of journalism. But what keeps me going every day is these exceptional women who I'm so lucky to work with every day. But absolutely, you know, given the opportunity to be trained and, you know, a dignified profession like journalism and then have long term 
uh, sustainable employment has truly transformed people's lives. We uh, get stories every day of people who are, you know, they are able to go to the dentist for the first time. They are able to put their kids in private school. So wow. journalism is a development tool. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jeannie, Christy, Sybil. Thank you for joining us. Again, Christy Hegrenis, the founder and executive director of Global Press Institute. Jeannie Borgo, president and CEO of Internews. And Sybil Mascalier, a Global Press Institute board member. Today's program was produced by Jonathan Smith. Our volunteer, Cindy Hahn, answered your calls. John Keimel ran the board, and we had help from the MPBN web team. You can find past editions of Maine Calling as well as a link to our podcast by visiting mpbn.net slash maincalling. Tomorrow on the program, join host Suzanne Nance for a discussion with acclaimed singer-songwriter and author Josh Ritter. We've posted links to listen to some of his music on our Facebook page and at mpbn.net slash maincalling. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and you've been listening to Maine Calling on MPBN.